wind blow? No. <laughs> I know, absolutely not. That, that wind is horrific, isn't it? Amen. But we're so glad to be back tonight in Liberal, Kansas. My wife is with me. You want to testify tonight or Sunday morning or Sunday night or all three nights or what? Okay. Amen. Well, it's so good to be here and meet all of you. And I remember two names, <laughs> Virginia and Virginia. <laughs> oh, Virginia. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's Virginia and that's Virginia. Okay. Well, it's so good to be with y'all. And um, I'm excited about tomorrow that I get to help with the outreach. And um, so it's going to be fun. to. I love doing things like that. But anyway, we, we um, always post a scripture uh, when we do our offering on Sunday mornings. And our scripture for this week is just really, is really blessed me um, because it's Psalm 119 and verse 16. And it says, what shall I repay God for all the goodness that he's done for me? And I'm just so thankful for God and for all that he does for us every day. Even things that we don't even realize, things that we don't even think to tell him thank you for. And he's just so good to us. And I just, I love him tonight. And um, it's just, it's good to be here. Thank you for having us. Well, she can say she's finally been to Kansas. (laughs) Not very far inside Kansas, but she got here. (laughs) One mile inside of Kansas. Amen. So good to see Kevin and his wife. Amen. You've been here, what, in liberal three years now? And uh, we have mutual friends, and glad to see you guys. And uh, Amen. Well, it's so good to be here tonight. And always good to be with Pastor Terry and uh, Brenda. And we just believe God has a word for this weekend. So uh, are you all recording this tonight? You don't need to. Is anybody hard of hearing tonight? Can y'all hear it like this? Can you hear my head? Well, then you can sit right here. And <laughs> or I can come stand in front of you. So I'll hold this. Amen. But, you know, what's God going to do tonight? I don't know. And uh, I love revival services. I love when the Spirit of God is moving. I love when the wind, spiritual wind's blowing and the spiritual fire's falling. Amen? And uh, I love it when people shout and dance, get, just get free in the Holy Spirit. Amen? But, you know, I don't know what God's going to do tonight. I don't sense He's going that direction. But sometimes we've just got to be still and know that He is God. Amen. I think one of the worst things we can do is try to manipulate people just because it's a revival. Amen. Now, I'm not an evangelist. I'm a pastor. I've been in my church, uh, I think, in about six weeks. I'll be there starting my 34th year. Is that correct? And uh, so, you know, every, every, shir- every service is not an old-fashioned Pentecostal, you know, but sometimes we just need to get the Word to sink into us tonight. And I feel like I have that Word tonight. I feel like it's timely. Now, I know it's a busy night, and uh, any Friday night's busy, and a lot of folks, at least back in Texas, are on vacation, and, uh, but I'm just pleased with the turnout tonight, and uh, someone said one time, well, those that were supposed to hear it are, are here to hear it, but that's the biggest lie from hell, 
you know, I'm convinced people are going to miss their visitation because they were not at the right place at the right time. Amen. And how many times have we preached messages and saw God move and knew that someone could have got it if they had have been here, but they weren't. But y'all are not the only ones that, are, that should hear this word tonight. Amen. But I just believe that we can sow spirits into the, uh, sow seeds into the atmosphere and believe in the Spirit of God uh, that will move and maybe move in, in, inside of you tonight. Amen. But uh, so glad to be here. I do have my books uh, back on the table, uh, Running With Your Second Wind. And I think that's how we connected initially. And uh, it's a book on revival, the presence of God. I got a book on... Um, the angelic realm called the unseen realm, a book on demonic spirits and depression, oppression, possession, second story window, and a, another book, kind of my sense of humor and one-liners um, called Second Thoughts. But I am writing a brand new book, and uh, I've had my chapters all ready to go. I just didn't have a title for it. And I had my chapters ready but didn't know the common theme. But I think it was last Friday night, the Lord woke me up at one eighteen in the morning and gave me the title for my book. Did I send you the title of my book? It's called uh, Discouragement, Disappointment, and Defining Moments. If you're ever going to get to what you were created for, you're not just going to stumble onto it. You're going to have to fight to get there to it. Amen? You're going to have to fight to, to, to get the promise and then to hang on to the promise. And uh, so... Uh, Y'all just pray for, I plan to do some writing tomorrow, uh, a little bit if I have some free time. And by the way, she said she likes outreach, and she's going to hang out with you ladies. I like to eat, and I'm going to hang out with the guys for the men's breakfast, I believe. So uh, that's her thing, and eating is my thing, but we're, we're just glad to be here. Amen? Amen. Me too. I, uh, I went out to gather eggs a few weeks ago. At my chicken pen. Does anybody here have chickens? Nobody in liberal has chicken. I guess they got all blown south of here, you know. But I went out to gather eggs uh, in my chicken pen. And I saw one of my hens acting a little bit strange. Now, strange to what I'm used to. I know my hens pretty well. I mean, I've been, I'm out there several times a day, and I know how they act, and I know that, you know, I know, I know, I know how they act. And I went to gather eggs, and one of my hens gave me the look was like she wasn't getting up from the nest. And when I reached down to gather the egg, she had that look in her eye like I better not mess with her. And then when I did reach down to kind of feel underneath her and grab the egg, she pecked at me, and it told me something was going on that I had not seen in her before, and she had actually become a broody chicken. Now, maybe you don't have chickens, but does anybody know about a broody chicken? You know, you don't mess with broody chickens. I learned on this hen here, I got me about a six-foot pole because I didn't want to get pecked, and I was trying to get the... uh, the, the hen off the nest so I could get the eggs so I could have breakfast the next morning and she wasn't coming off the nest. And I was aggravated. And I found out I had a broody chicken and, and it's all right to be a broody chicken if you want to hatch some chicks. But my problem was a few months before I got rid of my rooster. 
Now listen, I, w- I, went to, I went to gather eggs one day, and just out of the corner of my eye, I mean, I had one rooster for a reason. I liked the cock-a-doodle-doo. But out of the corner of my eye, I saw my rooster had his eye on me. And as I bent over to get the eggs, I felt a swoosh. And my rooster had the nerve to try to claw me. I don't tolerate stuff like that. I've got four daughters. When they were growing up and dating, I didn't tolerate boys with attitudes. I don't do that. That rooster jumped up to get me. And as he looked up to get me, it just made me mad. And I looked at my neighbor's house. He had his barbecue pit going. I called my neighbor. I says, neighbor, would you like some grilled chicken for supper? He says, I sure would. And within 30 minutes, that rooster was out of the pen. And he was on the barbecue pit. So, now, back to my story about the hens. My hen was sitting on the eggs. Now, normally, you would want hens to sit on the eggs if you were wanting chicks, but the problem was there was no rooster. Are you with me? There was no possibility of life beneath that hen. She could sit there all she wanted. She could sit there all she wanted. She could sit on as many eggs as she wanted. But it was absolutely impossible for anything good to come out of the time that she was sitting on the nest. All that she would have for her effort and her time. Now, now a broody chicken to sit there, they don't eat, they don't drink water, they don't get up and walk around. They just sit there. For 21 days, she just sat there. And all she ever had to show for it was rotten eggs. How many times do people have a dream and they're sitting on something that never has had any possibility of life attached to it? Now, we were created in the image of God. We were created to be dreamers and movers and and makers of things. That's who we are, and everybody should have a dream, whether you're a a Christian or, I mean, and even non-Christians have dreams. But I realize my life will only amount to anything eternal if I have Jesus in the middle of it. People have a dream to have fortune and have fame and have stuff and to make a name for themselves. But if Jesus is not the middle of everything that you are, it is absolutely impossible to have any life produced from your effort. What people do may look noble. It might look good. It might look meaningful. But if Jesus is not there... There's absolutely no chance for life. My question is, and 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 that's not my message. really has nothing to do with my message. It really has everything to do with our hearts. And when we come into the presence of God, do we just come here because we were supposed to be here? How many times, when we've all been discouraged, 
We've all been disappointed. Maybe sometimes the only reason we ever came to church because we was the preacher. You've probably never done that. Or the piano player. But we came. But my, my question is, why did we come? To, well, pastor, pastor is expecting me. Now listen, even if you didn't come expecting anything, you're in the right atmosphere for a miracle to happen. Amen. Listen, you don't go by your feelings. You don't go by your feelings. You just go because it's the right thing to do. And even when we're faithless, he's still faithful. And you never know when you can have that life-changing moment in his presence and the lights can go off and all of a sudden God begins to work in your life. But I can tell you when you came expecting something. I've been to some churches before where they weren't expecting anything. Now listen, you don't have to welcome me and you don't have to know who I am or anything like that because I'm nobody. But I was at one church and I was in Ireland preaching and, and we, we were at starting time and nobody was there. Not even the pastor was there on starting time. Me and the guy that was traveling with me for those services, we were sitting in the parking lot waiting for somebody to get there. Then after five minutes after starting time, the pastor drives up and he goes to open the door and he says, by the way, I forgot to tell anybody that we had a guest speaker tonight. Now listen, you don't have to roll out a carpet for me. Don't do anything special for me. But I, I, I call them by the way services. By the way, we're having church tonight as if there's no expectation. But you know what? When you don't expect, it doesn't seem to pull from the heart of the man of God. Now, we'll still preach our heart out. Regardless, or we try to preach our heart out, and sometimes we have to fake it till we make it. But when you have expectation on your faces, and when you have expectation in your heart, and you're sitting on the edge of your seat like you expect something, amen, you can expect a miracle to take place. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Well, I want to share a scripture with you tonight. Because I believe you came expecting and if you by chance came out of routine, there's still hope for you because we're in the presence of a living God. Amen? In Acts chapter 7, verse 32, I want to share a scripture with you. And it's one scripture or one phrase that I could have pulled from many different passages of the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament. But I just pulled the one from Acts chapter 7, verse 32. I am the God of your fathers. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Say this with me. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, in 2 John 1, 8, it says this. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Somebody say full reward. 
Do you believe there's a full reward? If we believe there's a full reward, well, there must also be a partial reward. Are you with me? Do you kind of get that feeling? If there is a full reward, somewhere along the line, there must be a partial reward. And I'm afraid, Pastor, there are people in life that, are, that have been serving God, and maybe when they get to the end of their life, they're going to get a partial reward because it was partial obedience. And I think, and I, 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 I was telling a pastor the other day from Oklahoma uh, about I was writing the new book, and he says, uh, you know, a book about uh, discouragement, disappointment, and defining moments. He says, Pastor, I'm sure you've got enough experience to write a good book on that. But he's been in his in, in ministry longer than I've been. And he, he's been in his church longer than I've been in mine. And I said, Brother, I'm just like you. I know a few things because I've seen a few things. I think that would make a good insurance commercial. But I've seen people not live to their potential. We see people get started and they quit. We see people quit right before what could have been their defining moment. And I often wonder what would happen to people if they tried just a little bit harder. You know what you get out of you get you get out of life what you put into it. If you don't try, you get nothing. If you give it all your heart, you get everything. If you just kind of have half-hearted effort, you're going to get half-hearted results. But what would happen if people tried just a little bit harder? Someone says, if you put some try in your umph, you might have a triumph. Did you hear about the guy that went bear hunting? Any hunters in here? Kevin's a hunter, but you're not from around here. Do guys in liberal, well, there's, is there anything to hunt around here? We'll talk hunting stories after a while, man. But did you hear the, about the guy that was out in the woods hunting, and all of a sudden he ran across a bear, and the bear started chasing him? And the old hunter started running. And his only plan for escape was to, there's a tree out there in the middle of the field. And he ran. And he thought, if I can just jump up there and grab that limb, that bear's never going to get me. And he got to the tree before the bear did. And he jumped and he missed it. And as he looked up, the bear was still running at him full blast. And the guy jumped a second time. And he came down and he missed the limb the second time. By this time, the bear was right on top of him, and he thought to himself, I've got one last chance to jump up and grab that limb, and if I miss it, I don't know what I'm going to do. And as the bear got right to him, the guy jumped with everything that he had, and he missed it a third time. But he caught it on the way down. So, He caught it on the way down? All right. But what would happen? What would happen if people tried just a little bit harder? What would happen in people's lives if they didn't give up? You know, as I've pastored my church almost 34 years, beginning my 34th year, there's been lots of opportunities to give up. There's been lots of opportunities to quit, to find something else to do. 
But I thank Pastor Terry because I've kept hanging on. I've kept hanging on. I feel like, and this is what I told my wife, after 34 years of pastoring, I feel like I finally found my purpose and I finally found my stride. I finally feel that I got to the point where I can do something for the kingdom of God. I told my wife, I feel like there's about 25 more good years in me because I've allowed God to breathe a second wind inside me like I wrote about in my first book. But you'll never get to that point of life in ministry or in life in general or your marriage or your job or whatever if you quit right before the moment that you were created for. One of my favorite songs, maybe some of you know it, is Don't Give Up on the Brink of a Miracle. You could be on the brink of a healing. You could be on the brink of your marriage working. You could be on the brink of a business transaction or a business decision that could, that could set you for life. But we quit because it gets too tough. Several years ago, my wife and I, we took a team from a church, I think on three different occasions, to Phoenix, Arizona, Tommy Barnett's church, America's pastor. You've probably heard of Tommy Barnett, but behind his church, and his church runs thousands. But behind his church, they own a mountain. And, you know, Dr. Cho has his prayer mountain in Korea. Tommy Barnett has his mountain behind the church, their prayer mountain. And there's people day and night there interceding for their church, for their city, and for their nation. Now, for the fun of it, me and teams from my church would go to the top of the mountain. And it was, it was very, very difficult. And I learned a lot about the folks in my church as we proceeded up to the top of the mountain. And uh, because not, I mean, it would take some effort to get there. And we knew that we had to leave uh, uh, down uh, in the parking lot before daylight if we wanted to get to the top before it was time to start services that afternoon. But I remember some of my folks says, we don't think we're interested in going to the top. You ever heard, saw church people say, well, we, pastor, we're just really, really not interested. That'll crush a pastor's dream. I saw some other people that they got started on the way to the top, and when it got a little bit steep, they, they, they went as far as their level of commitment would take them. Then I found out some of them were not equipped to get to the top. I found out some of them had to go to the bathroom. You know, the closer it got to the top, I realized about mountain climbing, there's a lot of paths to the top at the bottom. And the closer you get to the peak, to the pinnacle, it gets rougher and it gets steeper and it gets narrower. And that's where a lot of people play out. But I had the joy. I had the joy of taking a group of my people to the very top and had a commanding view of the city and the church. But I learned a lot of people don't have it inside them to get to the top. But what would happen? 
if people tried just a little bit harder. You know, I've learned in my church, I mean, I've been there 34 years, and I thank God because I believe our best really is yet to come. But I'm not the first. I'm a pioneer pastor. I started the church. My wife and I, we were 23 years old. We went and we started the church from nothing. But we were not the first ones to try to start. Now, I'm an assemblage of God pastor. Please don't hold that against me or Kevin. But there were two opportunities in the years leading up to that. One man became an alcoholic, and I can understand why some pastors become alcoholics. And the next pastor that came in there, after that church folded, the next pastor came in and had financial problems and had marital problems. And the church folded. Now, I helped my pastor go tear the old church down because we were taking that lumber to start a new church, we, uh, to build a new facility where we were living. And I went with them to stack, ne- stack lumber and pull nails. And I went back when we were 23 years old to begin building this church from scratch. I didn't know what I was doing. And some people tell you, I still don't know what I'm doing. But we haven't quit. I realize God can bless people that don't know what they're doing. But only if they don't quit. But as my church seemingly has become healthy over the years, and my church has been very good to me in ministry, I've had some years of struggle, and I had some devils to fight and some mountains to climb, and I've had, I've had to pick myself up from all the... I've had to do all that. But my church began to thrive, and I began to have pastors in, or preachers in my life begin to come up to me and says, I want to tell you something. Years ago, they felt in their heart that God had called them to the same little town that I was called to, but they said they didn't see that there was any potential there. And what I see in my life is I see guys that failed. They quit. And then I see there are guys that God spoke to and people resisted God and didn't go. So I've had to come to the realization I was not God's prime choice. You know, I'm kind of, I feel like in my life it's kind of like, you know, on the basketball team at school in, in gym, and they line everybody up. They have some team captains, and this one gets, always gets picked first. And there's always one that, that gets picked last. Nobody wants. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't ever the last one, but I tell you, I was never the first one. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not God's perfect choice for where I'm at. I was not God's first choice. I know I'm at least, I I was never the first choice because he became an alcoholic. I was not the second choice because he had marital problems. I know I was not the third choice because that elder minister came up to me and says he didn't obey God and go. So I know I was at least the fourth choice. Are you with me? But I went. Now I realize I, 
I'm in a place where other guys could have been walking in the blessing that I'm walking right now. Are you with me? It's not what I have done. It's not what I've brought to the table. It's not my anointing or my gifting. I was just the one probably stupid enough to obey God and go. Maybe I was just foolish enough to stick out some storms and I stuck there. Now I realize God has some purposes that he will get accomplished in the earth. Amen? There's some kingdom stuff that God just has to make happen. And if the one chosen doesn't do it, God will always have somebody. Amen? God's first choice was the Jews. And they rejected him. And he broke off that branch and we were grafted in. Paul was telling the church, don't get excited about yourself, about what you are in God, because you were not God's first choice. We were grafted in or adopted in. And if we forget that, God can break us off. But many people, they quit. Now, there's some things, you know, we say, well, you know, if you don't do it, God will have to raise up somebody that will. I mean, there's some stuff God's called you to do that sometimes it just may not get done if you don't do it. But there's some stuff so important to the heart of God. God will do what he's got to do to make it happen. And if you don't do it, God will have somebody that will. Wouldn't you hate to miss the greatest blessing of your life? Can you imagine Abraham and the title that he got? I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that trio? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That makes a pretty awesome team, doesn't it? Say it with me. Abraham, Isaac. And Jacob. Now listen to this over in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. What a great promise. Abram began to walk in that promise. He began to act like he believed the word of God. God gave him a promise. Nations of the earth are going to be blessed because of you. Now, because Abram had faith in God, God put him to the test. You know the test, the ultimate test of Abraham. Can you sacrifice your only, or or not his only son, but, but can you sacrifice the child of promise, Isaac? But listen, as I begin to look at the life of Abram, Abram had a promise But when he obeyed, God gave such revelation and clarity to the promise. Listen to this. This was after Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac. This is what the Lord says. Because you've 
Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. And I will multiply your descendants beyond number. The first promise was you're going to be a blessing. Your family's going to be blessed. But after his obedience, God says, I will multiply your descendants beyond number. I don't know. I know we don't have any chicken farmers in here. We got very few hunters in here, but do we have any mathematicians in here or accountants in here? Can anybody do anything with numbers in here? What can y'all do? But the promise was, I will multiply your seed beyond number. I've got on my phone on the calculator before and tried to see how high it can go. Even my computerized calculator on my phone, it can only go up so, so high. And then it just shuts it down. But the promise God made to Abram, your family will be beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Wow, what a promise. What would you give for that promise? What would you give for that word from the Lord? Would you ever let it slip through your hands? Would you ever be tempted to quit? Would you ever be tempted to find something else to do? And I begin to read on about Abram. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. And this is from, the, I think, the New Living Translation. And Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, his wife, Sarah, his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran. And then it says, and finally arrived in the land of Canaan. Yeah, I've read this passage many times before. I've read the Bible through many times. I've read this passage. But as I was reading this time, something stuck out to me that I had to investigate when it says he finally arrived. That's the New Living Translation. Maybe mine's the NIV. (laughs) But it says he finally arrived in the land of Canaan. And I begin to study that word finally. You done got me curious. Do what? NIV. Maybe it's the KJV. I like to read different versions for different clarity. But the, the, the version I was reading, it says they finally arrived in the land of Canaan. And it got me curious as what they were talking about finally. And I went back to the previous chapter Genesis chapter 11, verse 27 says, This is the account of Terah's family. 
Terah was the father of Abram. Verse 31 says, One day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarah, and his grandson Lot, and moved away from the Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed, listen to this pastor, he was headed for the land of Canaan. Now we thought that was Abraham's job. We thought that's what Abraham was called to do. But before Abram ever heard from God to leave your father's house, there is already something in Terah's heart, Abraham's father. It was in his heart, and he headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there and died while still in Haran. I think in this book I'm writing, I'm going to name this the title of this chapter. There's a land where your dreams die. I could also call it halfway there. As I put my finger on the map where Terah started from, and then put my finger on Canaan where it was in his heart to go, he went as far as Haran, and it was halfway there. And I began to look halfway there. It was in Abraham's father's heart to do something. And he quit. He felt something in his heart, but he quit. When he got to Haran, the Bible doesn't right there tell us what it was that made him quit. Now, I, I understand there's stuff that makes people quit the path that they're on. There's, there's, uh, sometimes you get to a river... And it may not be passable. You seen pictures of the Mississippi River at flood stage? Totally impassable. Have you ever seen the Mississippi River when it was not in flood stage? It's still impassable. There's just some natural stuff along the way, whether it's a river or it could be a mountain range, and it will stop somebody in their tracks. Sometimes people on their journey, maybe there's a battle to fight. As I made my way across some of the plains, I began to imagine myself in some of the John Wayne movies. And as the wagon trains went west and the Indians were going to pop up out of nowhere and attack them. Sometimes people quit because there's confrontation. Sometimes people quit because they run out of supplies. They run out of finances. Sometimes people go as far as they can go because their health goes bad. Or maybe their family won't go with them. There's things that happen to people that stop them on their journey and they get halfway there. Then it says... I mean, what was it? What was it that stopped Terah? 
It doesn't tell us right there. But as I was reading about the life of Joshua, as he was recounting to Israel their testimony, how God brought them out of Egypt, God brought them through the wilderness. God brought them across the Jordan River into the promised land and how they beat, how they conquered Jericho and Ai and all the different cities that made up the promised land. And then he talks about where they are, where then. That's when he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But when he got to the part leading up to their testimony... He says in Joshua 24, verse 2, Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. When it says there that they worship other gods, some Bible historians seem to think that Terah himself was actually one that made idols that they worshipped. And so I began to see that there was something in Terah's heart. He had a vision. He had a dream. He had a call. But he didn't separate himself from the stuff that he came out of. And as he started on the journey, that stuff begins to drag you down. Are you with me? You see, people begin to serve the Lord. It's not much of a problem to get people in the altar. And I hear these guys all the time. They had 15 people respond to the altar call. And last, the Sunday before that, it was 20 people. And the Sunday before that, it was 50 people. And praise God for that. It's not a problem to get people to come to the altar. But can you get people to leave their idols at home? Or not? don't leave them at home. Can they, can they get rid of the stuff? Because if you don't get rid of your stuff, you're not going to make it. Now, I know we don't have idols. We're beyond all that. Or are we? We let stuff keep us from following the path that God has put in our heart. And I begin to think about Terah. He was halfway there and he quit. Can you imagine the blessing that slipped through his fingers? Abraham went with him along the way. And Abram picked up. He heard God for himself. God called him out from his own father's house. Terah took you part of the way, but God will take you all the way. And he received the promise. And he received the greater revelation. And now when we talk about the people of faith, we we hear about people, uh, they, they serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It could have been Terah, Abram, 
Isaac, and Jacob. Can you imagine missing your defining moment? Because you weren't willing to pay the price. Brother, come to the piano if you would, please. You see, he's not a halfway God. Listen to me. He's not a halfway God. He's not a part-time God. He's a full-time God. I don't want a partial blessing. I don't want a part of the promise. I want to receive everything God's got for me. Don't go halfway there. If you're going to serve the Lord, serve the Lord. I've had to realize the most disheartening thing in all the world, people that don't want to go completely after God. I see the potential in people's lives. I know y'all don't have a problem with this here. And I'm glad this is not being taped, not being put on Facebook. Wonderful young family back at home. But it's more important for them, for their kids to make the all-star team than to come to Sunday school. And it breaks my heart. When people... Skip church to do the thing. I mean, God gives you six days to do your stuff. And yet we're too busy on the Lord's day. And it shows us the things that's really inside of our heart. You know, people want the full blessing. The full benefits of knowing Jesus. But some things are only going to... are only going to come to you when you settle it all at the altar and you leave it all behind. And as a church, also, when we make up our mind, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. We're going to be what God's called us to be. I've learned in my little town... If we don't do what God's called us to do. Now, I'm not, I'm not a competitor. I thank God for other teammates. But I said one day, God shouldn't have to raise up another church in town. Just because we've found our place of complacency. I do believe there's unsafe people in every town that there's not enough churches to house them all God can raise up other people for his purposes amen but I don't want the Lord to pass me by you see Israel they had a chance to see the glory of God just like Moses And they told Moses, Moses, you go up. You go up. You tell us what God says and come back and tell us. We don't want, we're we're afraid that we'll die. The fact of the matter is, they didn't want God telling them nothing because they had carnal stuff in in their minds that they wanted to do. 
And Moses, well, they said, Moses, you go tell us what God says. Moses came back to the mountain and found them in wickedness. You see what was really inside their heart. They don't mind you going, but please don't put it on them. Then they get to the promised land. They, get, they can look over the river. And they said, we don't think we can take it. They had the opportunity to go in. But because of their unbelief, they did it to themselves. The Lord had to turn them away. You know what unbelief is? Do you know what unbelief is? If you believe something, what does that mean? If you know something, then you you unknow it. I believe, but now I don't believe. It's unbelief. I'd rather somebody just be faithless than unbelieving because unbelieving, you once knew it, but now you don't believe it. Once you thought it could, and now you don't think it can. Unbelief turned them away. It took them 40 years to get another opportunity to go back in. But God didn't want to take them halfway across. He wanted to bring them into the full blessing. And I think of Agrippa. Remember King Agrippa? Paul knew he had an assignment. Even though he was in prison everywhere he went, he shared his testimony, shared his faith. And Agrippa says, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. I've had to realize not everybody wants to serve God like I want to serve Him. My flesh wants to get aggravated. But you know what? You can't beat people up over things that's not in their heart. Amen? If somebody don't want to take the journey your own, you go at yourself. Amen? But I'm convinced there's people that are losing their blessing. Maybe they're wondering why their family doesn't get saved. Well, I I come to church every now and then. Folks, he's not a part-time God. Part-time service don't activate full-time promises. I just believe, you hit on it tonight, Pastor. You got to seek him with all your heart. God knows when it's just words. God knows it's when you're just saying the things you're supposed to say to keep the preacher happy, keep the preacher off your back. You know what? You might can keep the preacher off your back, but you can't keep the Holy Spirit. I like the Holy Spirit, man. He'll talk to us in ways that we can't resist. Talks to us through dreams. Puts us flat on our back so that we can't resist him. So that he can download stuff into our spirit. I'm through tonight. But I felt like I had to deliver this word. Some people are going to miss their opportunity. Because they stop.